um, for the last number of weeks we've been working way, our, our way through a, a new series. For the last uh, four or five weeks we've been on this series entitled Stories That Transform. And we found stories from the both Old and New Testament which are transformative. And um, we're on yet another one this morning. Some of these stories are very well known to us. Some of them are less so. Last week, I think we focused on probably one of the most well-known and most loved stories in the entire Bible, the story of the prodigal son. And this week, I think that you would be excused for not even knowing the name, let alone the backstory of our subject. Onesimus, put hands up if any of you have heard this guy. Well, it's probably about half of you, so I would take it that the other half haven't. Onesimus, his story is found in the New Testament letter of Philemon, another name that you might not be particularly familiar with. Philemon is a a letter found in the New Testament, just one chapter long, hidden almost between the letters of Titus and Hebrews. And I so love this story. It is one of my all-time favourite stories, and I hope that after this morning, it'll also be one of your favourite stories. And um, you too will be able to recognise why God, in his wisdom, allowed a personal letter from the Apostle Paul to a friend of his to be included in Holy Scripture. This letter, just one chapter long, is a masterpiece of grace, that word again. We seem to come across this word quite an awful lot, don't we? This word grace. And it's a profound demonstration on the power of the gospel of Christ. Last week's story was just that. It was a story. It was a fictional account of a son who asked for his father's inheritance early and ran away, spent a lot on wild living, and then came to his senses when famine came on the land and he had no money left. And he asked, well, rather, he, he, he came back to his father and asked, well, he was about to ask at least, if he could be made a servant and not regarded as a son any longer. But his father didn't even allow him to come out with that speech that he had practiced. And it's a great story that the father received him with open arms, received him not as a servant, but received him as a son. He was reinstated. This week's story is not a fictional story, but it is a historical story. And it's a real-life story of a real-life prodigal, a man called Onesimus. A slave who ran away, not from his father, but from his slave owner. And that slave owner was a man called Philemon. Now, Philemon was like all ancient household patriarchs. Um, In ancient times, they owned slaves as much as the concept of slavery doesn't really fit in with our modern-day sensibilities or sensitivities. In Bible times, it was certainly a fact of life. And Philemon, this friend that Paul writes to, was the leader of a church that met in his house in in, in the city of Colossae, and he was a a good man. Probable reason that... um, his slave Onesimus ran away in the first place was that he stole something from his master. He ran away to a big city there. He could remain anonymous and he ran to Rome. Paul was in prison in Rome at the time. Somehow their paths crossed. We're not told how. And Paul led 
Onesimus, this runaway slave, to faith in Jesus. It was a, a moment, a happening, an incident that utterly transformed the rest of his life. Despite the significant differences between these stories, the story of last week and the story of this week, there are a number of similarities. And last week's prodigal son and this week's Onesimus both make the decision to return, uh, return home to face the music. Both men made a decision which was quite a precarious one. For the prodigal son, for him to make that decision to return home to see the father might have meant rejection. He might have been rejected by his father. He did not know how his father was going to respond to him. But for Onesimus to return, it was even more dangerous because he was a, a runaway slave. Not only a runaway slave, but a runaway slave who had uh, stolen something, probably stolen something from his master. And that ran the risk of him having his sins branded with a hot iron across his forehead. Or perhaps he could have been imprisoned. Or perhaps he could have even lost his life as, as punishment. So what I'd like to do this morning is for us to walk through the best part of this one chapter that we find in the New Testament. If you've got your Bibles there, brilliant. I'm reading from the NIV. Uh, if not, words are going to be on screen so that we can keep up with what's happening. And uh, I read this through a few times this week. And my word, it, I must say, it brought a smile to... Uh, to my face, because in places, I, I, I thought at least, it's quite comical. So let's start at uh, Philemon verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Abphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Now, just stop there for a moment. In those days, in the first century, most churches met in homes of, um, of various people. It was only a few hundred years after this, during or after the time of Constantine the emperor, when churches actually had church buildings and cathedrals and basilicas and so forth. Okay, verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. So Paul is writing to his friend Philemon. Philemon is this household patriarch who owns slaves, including Onesimus. And I can well imagine, and sometimes you've got to use your imagination a little bit to read between the lines and try and put yourself in the shoes of those who are being spoken about or those who are receiving such a letter as this. And I could well imagine Philemon hearing these words for the very first time, and I can imagine him just fighting back the tears. Such gracious words about him. Such gracious words about him from Paul. 
from the mighty Apostle Paul, from the mighty Apostle Paul, who didn't throw too many compliments around because, you know, it looks as if they're being thrown around as confetti is being thrown around here. And I can well imagine him wiping away a tear or two from his eyes and reading these words in these first few verses again and again and saying to himself, wow, Paul, this, this mighty man of God, he's actually praying for me. He is praying for me. He's thanking God for me. How about that? He said he's heard of my love for others and also my faith in the Lord Jesus. Wow, he's seen something in me that I've not even seen in myself. And now he's referring to me as a, as a partner, as a brother. Wow, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. And I guess he read that sentence more than once. Now, I'm sure that Philemon was a far, far, far better Christian than me. Because if I'd received a letter like that from Paul, I might have just been a little bit suspicious, a little bit distrustful. I might have been looking for the catch. What's coming next? Yeah, some of you are smiling. I think you probably are not so spiritual as Philemon was either. Is he setting me up here? Is he short of funds? Does he need me to payroll his next missions trip? Of course, Philemon was far too godly to think those things. But I'm not. <laughs> you knew that anyway, didn't you? Let's read on, verse 8. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than it is as none other than Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Well, maybe I wasn't too far wrong in my assessment of Paul in the first place. But you've got to hand it, hand it to Paul. He is good. First of all, he says, "I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do." So there, he's straight away referring to his own apostolic authority. I could tell you what to do. But then he speaks not only of his own authority, he speaks to Philemon of his own responsibility, of what you ought to do. And then, and this made me laugh out loud when I read it this week, he gets to refer to himself as an old man and a prisoner of Jesus. It's almost as if he wanted us to get the violins out there. Do you think? He's, he's pulling on Philemon's heartstrings here. How do you say no to a guy like this? Okay, what's the deal? Well, let's, let's look in the next verse. That I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now has become useful both to you and to me. Okay, Philemon is saying, this doesn't appear to be about money at all. It appears to be about that runaway slave called Onesimus I thought I'd seen the back of him. Hey, but what's this? He's met up with Paul, who is referring to him as useless. No, he's not. Who, who became my son? What's going on here? Formerly he was useless to you. You bet he was. 
But now he has become useful to you and to me. Wow. That moment dawned on Philemon that his runaway slave, Onesimus, has come to faith in Jesus. And I can imagine him with a mouth open wide just trying to take in this incredible news. And Paul here has a wonderful play on words. It's so easily missed in our English translations. The name Onesimus means useful. So Paul is essentially saying that his name might be useful, but in fact he was useless. But now he has become useful to both you and to me. Paul is saying to Philemon, when he was with you, his character didn't match up to his name. But now, since Christ has come into his life, since Christ has changed him, his character is very much in line with his name. Julie tells me that when she was a, a, a child, she attended a, a children's club in her village from, uh, run by a Baptist church, and it was called Band of Hope. How many of you as children went to Band of Hope? Okay, Julie. <laughs> and Val. And Val. I, thought it was, I thought it was wider known than that. And she went to uh, this Band of Hope for children in her village. And um, the, the minister's name was Humble, the Reverend Humble. And people in the village used to speak of this man, that he was humble by name and humble by nature. His character matched his name. And now since finding Christ, Onesimus, or useful, actually became useful. And I can just imagine uh, Philemon's heart just jumping for joy knowing all that he did about this useless uh, slave that he once had, has now found Jesus and he has become useful. You know, I'm sure all of us, uh, or much, most of us are the same, that when we hear of someone's life being transformed by Christ, someone who was on the wrong pathway, and they come to faith, don't you just want to jump and shout and do cartwheels? Or is it just me? No, it's quite a few of us, isn't it? And that still excites me big time. And it seems as if it was exciting as well. Philemon. Verse 12. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I, I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favour you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary although under my breath or under his breath he's probably still saying yeah but I'm still expecting you to do it verse 15 perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever what great insight what great insight Paul is suggesting that even his running away from Colossae to Rome was part of God's big plan and purpose and um, it was a, an amazing insight here that there seems to be a reason behind it all. That if he had not run away, he would not have gone to Rome, he would not have met the Apostle Paul, he would not have come to faith. And it's, it, it, it's great the way that Paul just grabs this concept Elsewhere in the book to his letter to the Romans, 
He writes about a God who works all things together for good to those who love him. And that's what he seems to be suggesting here as well. The God who works all things together for good. You know, I think of that great passage, great story. Maybe a a story for another week. Um, The story of Joseph in Genesis. And we come to the final chapter of Genesis, chapter 50, verse 20. And he says to his brothers, the brothers who had so abused him, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. In other words, God had other plans. And God can take negatives and with one stroke of a pen can make a positive very, very easily. And that's what he seems to be doing here in the life of Onesimus. Verse 16. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. I'll come back to that verse in a few moments' time. There's a lot I want to say about that. Verse 17. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. (laughs) Can you see the humour here? You've got to laugh at this guy. I'll pay you back out of my own pocket, but don't forget, Philemon, you owe me big time. That's what he's saying. And the wonderful thing that I see in all of this is the humanity of Paul. The humanity of Paul just seems to come out of the woodwork in this letter. Verse 20. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. No pressure there, then, Paul. Verse 22. And one thing more. Prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Now, a suspicious mind would say, yes, I'm going to be checking up on you and make sure that you've done this. But I couldn't possibly say that myself. I love this letter, I really do. You know, Paul wasn't a guy who suffered fools gladly. Sometimes he was very harsh and very direct. I don't know if you've read his letter to the Galatians recently. Oh my word. That letter should carry with it a health certificate. It really, you know, it's in your face. It doesn't have any of the pleasantries uh, in some of the other letters like Philippians and so forth. But Paul goes for the juggler. And then he concludes this letter to the Galatian uh, Christians. um, Because these Galatian Christians, many of them at least, wanted to continue with the Jewish practice of circumcision alongside their faith in Christ. And uh, Paul tells them in this letter to Galatians to if that's what they believed, if that's what they really wanted to do to carry on this Jewish practice of circumcision, maybe they should go the whole way and castrate themselves. Yet yeah, it's in the book. It's in the Bible, okay? There's some very interesting things in the Bible and maybe, you know, that's one of... And that's Paul, if you like. That's Paul. You know, he doesn't take fools gladly. He doesn't suffer them gladly at all. To some Corinthian Christians... Um, they spoke of Paul's letters as being weighty and forceful. 
But in person, Paul was a bit unimpressive, a bit weak, a bit of a mumbler. Well, this letter to Philemon certainly wasn't weighty or forceful. It's actually a bit playful, I think, on times. Let me come back to verse 16. Paul encourages Philemon to accept Onesimus no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me and even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Now, when you understand a little bit of the culture of these times, you will see the weight of these words. Paul was a a former Pharisee. His credentials were impeccable. He has status, prestige, privilege, upbringing, educational background, influence. And this former Pharisee, who was so well known and respected, becomes this mighty apostle to the Gentiles. And what he does here in these few words is he reaches right across this huge social, religious, moral gulf that separated him from this runaway thief who ran the risk of having his sins branded on his forehead. And he reaches across and he calls him a dear brother. Catch that. Catch that. Only the gospel could do that. And he asked Philemon not only to forgive Onesimus and take him back, which in itself would have been a huge ask. He goes further than that and he requests Philemon to embrace this man as a brother, as a social equal, as a part of the family. That would have been unheard of in Roman society of the time. So there you have it. Paul, Philemon, and now Onesimus, all brothers in Christ. And as someone once said, the ground at the foot of the cross is level ground. I like that. The ground at the foot of the cross is level ground. No one has a head start. No one is disqualified on the basis of their upbringing or social status or educational attainment or their past mistakes. God is so wonderful. God accepts us as we are. We can't earn his love. We don't need to tidy ourselves up somehow in order to be accepted by him. It's all by his grace. I don't deserve a thing from God and neither do you. But God has taken that initiative and has come to us in the person of Jesus. And with Jesus comes salvation and with Jesus comes forgiveness. And with Jesus comes a brand new life and self-respect and the power of a sin and a heaven that's awaiting us all, gratis, absolutely free from our point of view. And if he has forgiven us, and if he has given us what we could never earn, and if he has given us what we would never deserve, then how could we ever, 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 ever look down our noses at another person? No wonder Paul encourages the Christians in Rome, in Romans chapter 15, verse 7, accept one another, he says, as Christ accepted you. How does Christ accept us? Christ accepts us unconditionally, and that is the way that we are to accept one another. Talbot House, or Talk H. Any of you heard of this? Yes, Martin? 
Yes? No? Well, let me tell you about it. Uh, Talbot House, or Talk H, was, uh, as it was more affectionately known, was, uh, first came into existence in 1915. In, uh, it was during the First World War, and it came into existence by a man called the Reverend uh, Tubby Clayton. I don't guess that Tubby was his, you know, his name that he was given. I imagine that was his nickname. Uh, Tubby Clayton founded the Rest House for Soldiers in a Belgian town, just a few miles from the, the front line. Talk H was open to all ranks of soldiers, and there was only one entrance requirement for Talk H, was that you abandoned rank when you came into this place. In fact, there was a sign over the, the doors which said, abandon rank, all ye who enter here. And that's the way that it should be, should always be, with Christ's church. That we are the truly classless society, accepting one another, just as Christ accepted us. As I study this uh, passage this week, one thing that utterly intrigued me, I'd not seen it before actually, was that this appears to be the only letter of Paul where Paul does not speak about the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The first time I'd seen that. But then again, he didn't need words to explain the death and the resurrection of Jesus because what he was actually doing was embodying the gospel through what he himself was doing. That he was a, an illustration of the gospel. Just think about this for a moment. Paul pleads on behalf of Onesimus, a runaway slave, just in the way that Christ pleads on behalf of us to his father. Just as Onesimus was reconciled to Philemon, we too have been reconciled to God through Christ. As Paul offered to pay the debts of a slave, so Christ paid our debt of sin through his own blood. And what we can see in this is a wonderful outworking, really, of what Jesus taught in the Beatitudes. Jesus taught in the Beatitudes that the peacemakers are blessed. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Now, a peacemaker is not the same as a peacekeeper. They're two very, very different things. And a peacekeeper is essentially a passive role. A peacekeeper is one who doesn't like upsetting apple carts. A peacekeeper is one who chooses not to stand on too many people's toes. A peacekeeper is someone who often shies away from any kind of confrontation in order to keep the peace. That's a peacekeeper. But a peacemaker is essentially an active role. It is often about going out of one's way to create peace where there is none. To create peace where there might be division to bring about reconciliation in broken relationships and uh, actually to get involved in other people's business. And Paul encourages here uh, Christians in Corinth to engage in the ministry of reconciliation. And that's essentially what he was doing here himself. He was following his own advice. He was engaged in a ministry of reconciliation, reconciling Onesimus and Philemon. He didn't just put up his hands and say, hey, that's nothing at all to do with me. But he got engaged with that. Let me come into land very quickly. 
In his autobiography, um, Mahatma Gandhi wrote uh, of a time during his student days when he was contemplating Christianity. He was thinking of becoming a Christian because he believed that Christianity, in Christianity he could find the, the solution to the caste system that was dividing the people of India. So one Sunday, Gandhi uh, decided to attend a church service. He wanted to talk to the minister about becoming a Christian. When he entered into the church building, the usher, first of all, refused to give him a seat and then suggested that he go and worship with his own kind, with his own people. Gandhi left the church and never returned. He later said, if Christians have caste differences, I might as well remain a Hindu. God forgive that usher. So in which way is the story of Onesimus a story which transforms? Because each week we've been asking that question. We've not just given you stories for the sake of giving you stories, but these are stories which are transformative. So which way has this story, in which way does it transform? Well, perhaps more than anything else, it transforms the way that we view other people. It tells us that there is no one beyond the saving grace of Jesus. It tells us that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, rich or poor, young or old, black or white, or any other distinctive. It tells us that despite our diversity, and we are diverse, aren't we? We are one in Christ. And our challenge is to accept one another just as Christ has accepted us. How has Christ accepted us? Unconditionally. Unconditionally. And since Christ has accepted us unconditionally, that is the way that we are to accept others. In the last quarter of a century, our church here in Tamworth has shared the love of Christ with its community in all sorts of ways, through projects and ministries. Um, and it's, it's been a great privilege. And our desire to reach out to others has been based on the foundation of seeing all people from all walks of life as equal in the sight of God, as loved by God, and as precious to him. That everybody, everybody that you are going to meet this week, and everybody I'm going to be meeting this week, is made in the image of of God. And that in itself has acted as a catalyst to do what we choose to do within our community. It's not because we want to take over from social services or, or anything else. They do a great job. But it's because of who we see these people are in Christ. And our greatest claim to fame is that we ourselves are sinners saved by grace. That is the greatest claim that we have. We are sinners, saved by grace, that we are loved unconditionally, and we are called to love unconditionally. Mm -hmm.